What I think's been one of the most exciting findings is that the dogs that have been on the combination therapy molly, they have pushed out sort of five to seven months. Welcome to Dog Cancer Answers, where we help you help your dog with cancer. Hello, friend. Today on Dog Cancer Answers, we're taking a peek into the research and development side of dog cancer treatments. Dr. Kim Agnew is a veterinarian in Australia, and he's a consultant for the biotech company Pharmost, which is looking into a drug called monopental for canine cancer. It's not quite ready to hit the shelves of pharmacies near you, but the company is hoping it will be another tool in your veterinarian's toolkit very soon. Dr. Agnew, thank you for joining us. Uh, very good, Molly. It's uh, great to be here and looking forward to the chat. So you work with a company, a biotech company called Pharmost, and they are currently conducting some trials on a really interesting drug that's currently approved in your neck of the woods, but not yet in the U.S. Can you tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing down at Pharmost and what you're working with and what you see for the future? Sure. Yeah. So monopental is a really interesting chemistry because the initial product that was generated with monopental came from a large pharma company called uh, Novartis. And they developed monopental from scratch as a sheep dewormer. Okay. And so when you see a trade name Zolvix, if you see that anywhere on the globe, It'll be used for treating sheep and cattle for getting rid of internal parasites. So one of the passions I have, Molly, really is trying to short circuit the whole product development train. Like we all know how long this takes. And yeah. I think one of the fascinating things that Farmos is trying to do, they're just looking at the different ways that chemistries can act within the body. And Within the industry, we call it repurposing. So we have a chemistry like Monipantil, which has developed an innovative sense for deworming cattle. But ah, but hang on, we find that it actually has a lot of other effects as well, different systems within the body. These stories are not too uncommon when you look at the way some actives are discovered. But in this case... There was a academic physician who worked in the Sydney hospital and he happened to have some sheep. Like it's not uncommon for people in Australia to have some sheep if you live in the country, right? Right. And there were discussions in the, in the literature about uh, repurposing products that were used for a, a different purpose to try and ascertain what else they could do within the body, right? So, um, and anthelmintics or dewormers were one of these segments. So, this particular physician had finished trenching his sheep. He looked at the bottle and saw, ah, this has got monopantil in it. Goes back to the lab and sets up the set of in vitro screens against various cancer cells. And hey, presto finds that monopantil is effective against a wide range of in vitro cell lines. So that's kind of how... Now, in vitro means in glass, which means in the Petri dish in the lab, right? So there's Correct. a lot of things that happen in a Petri dish that wouldn't necessarily happen in the body. Yes. But this is exciting to find something that works in a lot of cancers in the lab. Yes. Okay. Yes. It's a really good comment. But certainly, that it, this is the way that initial work starts. Right. It Does it work or not? But yeah, your points are really good. Okay. So you see is this great result. And he says, wow, this sheep dewormer 
<laughs> is killing cancer cells. Yes. So, so fundamentally, the company was started. Obviously, there were discussions around intellectual property, but the company was started on this basis. And Afarmost is a listed company in Australia. A little bit unusual for for small biotechs, but. They are focused on both human and canine applications of uh, monopental. So, okay. So we obviously will be talking around the canine study today. The Farmost as a as a company is also looking at monopental use in people, also for oncology for cancer. And the other real fascinating area they're looking at is uh, motor neurone disease, actually, for people, which is huge unmet need and really debilitating. So, yeah, it's got a lot of potential opportunities. Say that again, a motor neuron disease. Yeah, Lou Gehrig is one name for oh, it. Lou but yeah. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing? It would be. So what's the mechanism that you're looking at? And is it the same mechanism for a motor neuron disease like Lou Gehrig's and cancer? Or are they different things that it's doing? Yes, look, we think that the end result the end mechanism is the same, but maybe slightly different pathways. So in a dewormer, simply what it does, it blocks transmissions to muscles, right? So paralyzes the parasite. Okay. But within oncology and within the motor neuron mechanism, uh, monopandals found to affect the whole energy flow system within the cell. And this is a really, it's a really complex pathway. It's called the mTOR pathway. And it's got multiple feedback loops that control all sorts of aspects to it. But fundamentally, Molly, what happens is that, let's say the body, we're in a, in a starvation condition, then what the system does is start, it starts to remove some of our cells to feed the body, right? So it manages if you're in a flux of lots of energy, the system trucks away in the background. If you um, are getting hungry or you're starving, then it activates different systems. So it ends up actually killing some cells, uh, right? So what happens in the cancer cell, which is rapidly growing and it's using lots of energy, what Monipantel does is that it slows this whole energy process down and starves the cell. Right, So then the cell, the immune system comes in and actually removes the cell and degrades the cell. So this is the high-level view of how Monipanta works. That's fascinating. I want to make sure I really understand this and that our listeners do too. So I'm thinking about like photographs of someone who's truly starving, right? They're emaciated and you can see the flesh is really dissolved and their skin and bones. That's literally because something in the body, this energy system, has said, gosh, there's no food coming from the outside. I'm going to have to eat my own flesh in order to survive. So I will go and break down muscle and I'll go and break down other tissues, use them for energy to keep myself going in the hopes that food will start to come in from the external environment. Am I correct so far? Yes, yes. So this system that monopental is involved in slows that whole breakdown of tissues down. And so the cancer cells that are growing, 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 growing become like a target for the manipental. And they say, oh, no, slow down, slow down, slow down. And so the tumor basically 
in effect, goes into the starvation mode. Yes, yes. So there's a process called uh, autophagy, which is the destruction of cells. So that's, in the end, that's what monopantil induces within the body. And what's interesting is that... That's almost as devious as cancer. Yes, (laughs) yes. You can use that. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So it really just starves that tumor of energy. Yes. So what does it look like in the body in these trials? Because you're now moved into trials, so you're conducting actual trials in real life bodies. Yes. So what we've done in canine study to date, we're still we're still quite early in the in the study, Molly, but we've enrolled thirty-four dogs now. And what Farmost has been doing over this time, which has probably taken 18 months to two years to enrol these dogs. And we have we have sites in Australia. Um, we've recently just this year set up a site in New Zealand and we have one site in the US as well now. Okay. And over the last two years, really it's just been a case of looking at dose and making sure we can titrate the dose to the effect. And I think maybe one of the interesting things your listeners may appreciate understanding is that monopantil is not it's not a cytotoxic like a, a chemotherapy type program. But what this does is, is produce quite a different outcome within the dog. So it's still really clear that chemotherapy in dogs is still the gold standard for those owners who want to preserve their dog's life for as long as possible. And monopantil will not replace chemotherapy in terms of duration of outcome. Okay. But because it's not a cytotoxic, then it, it, it produces less impacts on on the body. So what you tend to see in the dogs that we've investigated so far is that those dogs that respond well to monopantil, the lymphoma goes almost goes into a, a stasis, like it's managed. So the dog... The dog's quality of life actually is, in some cases, owners have said it's, it's sort of back to how it was before they observed them getting ill. It doesn't cause the tumours to go into regression. Okay. Um, but it allows the dog to manage their lymphoma effectively as they would normally. And the convenience that of the administration that Pharmos has got is a daily tablet, right? So once the initial diagnosis is made... The tablets are prescribed, they go back, and the owner can then just freely medicate on a daily basis uh, according to the instructions. This is a it's a cheap dewormer, so this is something that's safe to handle, I imagine, unlike many chemotherapy drugs, whether given as an injectable or at home in, in tablet form. Yes, yeah, correct. And there's no like there's no need for hospitalization for intravenous strips or those those sorts of things. So and so the outcomes tend to be an outcome of stasis and also there's no need for owners or children not to be able to handle the dogs after chemo or some other medications. They're obviously for safety reasons. There are sometimes three days or five days where it's best not to touch secretions from from the pet, right? So Monipantil doesn't create those levels of sort of handling challenges with your pet. That's pretty incredible. So you mentioned lymphoma. Do all of the dogs in all of your different trial sites have lymphoma? 
Yes, yes. So the trial is specifically for treatment-naive B-cell lymphoma. Okay. So all our cases, all our cases are treatment-naive B-cell lymphoma. Meaning that they're not doing any other, they're not doing chemotherapy treatment-naive, meaning nothing else has been done. They're only getting monopental. Correct, yes. So there's, a, there's quite a stringent enrollment criteria, as you can imagine, but the company really wanted to assess Monty Pantle. This is the first time Monty Pantle's obviously been assessed in dogs, so you want to make sure that there's no complications in terms of previous therapies or outcomes that might cloud the findings. So these must all be owners who are declining chemotherapy to begin with, and then they're offered this. As, is that how they get into the trials? Yes, well, there's, there's certainly, and it's quite an interesting question when you think around, same with people, like the reasons, the reasons why people think about different mechanisms of managing cancer. So they do in themselves. And obviously with their pets, the choice has really been made on a couple of things. One is that chemotherapy itself is something that they are a bit concerned about. There's the time, sometimes it's the logistics, there's the costs, you know, the outcomes and the side effects sometimes concern people. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've had owners who have had chemotherapy themselves and um, don't want to use that on their dogs. Some people hear about the study because there is a reasonable amount of media activity that Farmost put out and testimonials on the website from owners who have been involved in the study. And so sometimes it's a curiosity, you know, what is this new chemistry and can it help my dog and how does it fit? So sometimes there's just that scientific curiosity that owners want to explore as well. Yeah, that's, those are our listeners. A lot of them have sort of a, a natural scientific curiosity themselves, and they encounter a terrible diagnosis for their dog, and they become very knowledgeable about something they didn't want to become knowledgeable about, not just because it'll help their dog, but because they're naturally curious people. Yes. That's interesting. So why are you looking at lymphoma instead of some other illness, other cancer type? What was that decision-making process about? Yes. Yeah, so look, I think um, that was decision was made a bit before my time with Farmost. But the understanding I have is that there's a couple of key things. One is that lymphoma in dogs is obviously closely related to Hodgkin's and people. Okay. Right. So there's there's real similarities in sort of genetic causes. There's T and B cell makeup, the speed of progression. There's lots of similarities. And because Farmost has a, a human arm as well, then the um, data generated from lymphoma and dogs certainly would help think about Hodgkin's in people. So there is, there is that aspect. The other aspect really is, is that lymphoma is such a devastating disease for, for dog owners. Yeah. It's incredibly aggressive. And if it's not treated, then... Really, once you once you find your dog has this diagnosis, it's months if you're lucky. One to two months without any treatment. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. Yeah. Three to four weeks for many. Yes. And so I think there was a mix of things. But again, if you think around developing data for a new oncology product, then something like lymphoma is a challenging one because it is so aggressive, as you say, Molly. But the speed of progression actually lets you assess the chemistry quite quickly because you know within one to two months 
whether this is going to work or not right. So so there is that aspect as well. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, you know, quickly, I guess you, you started the trials and you're like, well, the dogs are still here and they're doing well. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, pretty quickly. That's really interesting. And then why B-cell as opposed to T-cell? Is it because of that Hodgkin's connection? Or is it just narrowing it down and eliminating as many variables as possible? Or Yes, yeah, just that I think the B-cell is, is much more common generally than T-cell. So, yeah. yes, I think it was more just trying to narrow the, the spread of investigation. So if it's working relatively well in these trials, and these are early trials, so this is not yet available as a treatment, right, for the general population. But do you see, looking into the future in your crystal ball, do you see that possibly it could be of use in other cancer types? I think the answer is yes, but the data is quite limited. Certainly, sure. I mean, there's a publication for a small-scale phase one study in people, okay. which has been published on on uh, Money Pantle, which is indicating positive outcomes in things like ovarian cancer and, and I think gastric cancer was another one. Wow. But in dogs, uh, really the B-cell lymphoma really is the most significant data set that exists for Monty Pantel. Well, lymphoma is the most common cancer type and B-cell, as you pointed out, is more common than T-cell. So this would be a great thing. Now, one of the, you know, Often, if someone decides they don't want to go through a standard, you know, gold standard chemotherapy protocol, like the CHOP protocol for lymphoma, the next step down treatment option they're given is prednisone because it's relatively inexpensive. We know a lot about it. It's used. It's easily available. So how does prednisone and manipental, how do they match up to each other as options from what you know with this early data? It's a really good question, that one, because ideally, if you think around, you know, when a vet talks to the owner about prednisone, right, you're thinking of palliative care. You're thinking, let me just try and make yes. the time as... as Give a little extra time. Yeah, that's right. And Monipantil itself, as I'm saying, is not going to be a competitor for the duration provided by chemotherapy, bearing in mind that most chemotherapy programs are four to five, six months sometimes in in duration. But the data that we've got from a monipantil on its own versus nothing, it's clear that monipantil does have a significant impact on reducing progression of disease. So what we're finding in those dogs that get through a study, Molly's 28 days. Okay. And again, that's set up for B-cell lymphoma. So we assess three times during the 28 days. So at day 28, we'll make a decision and we're totally aligned to the standard VCOG resist criteria, which are, for your listeners is really the accepted way, globally accepted way of assessing outcomes of studies, right? right. So, and so what we find is that dogs that do well and Tumors are tumors, but um, the dogs that do well on monipantil will remain in static disease at day 28. And that would be related really, we thinking, to the entry point, the health of the dog at the start of the study. So whatever the dog is at the beginning, they're still there 
28 days later, they haven't gotten worse. And that's uncommon with lymphoma. Yes. Because you notice your dog is a lump under their jowl or in their armpit. You bring them in and you find out it's lymphoma. Sometimes it's a week later, they have lumps popping up all over the place. And it's yes. really quite something. So it progresses very fast and is very serious. And that can cause all sorts of other problems that are related to having lumps all over your body that you know hard to breathe, that it's hard to move. It's very painful for the dog. So having like one lump and then 28 days later, you're saying it would be like that same lump would probably still be there, but not be bigger. And no other lumps would have appeared, for example. Yes, yes. So what generally happens is that um, dogs will present with multiple lymph nodes that are larger, right? So multiple lumps. Mm-hmm. And so the dogs that remain stable, then what we find is that the node measurements by the oncologist, they can be reduced because there is this grading between sort of minus 30 to plus 20% of node measurement. So if it sits within, if it reduces, say, 20% or it goes up 10%, that's called stable disease. So within the variations, we're finding those dogs are uh, maintaining stability. But one, one thing that we have found, and this is on the website, so I can talk about it, is that a retrospective analysis of dogs that are had ongoing treatment. So day 28, what Farmos says to the oncologist and the owner is that, well, if, you, if you're really happy with the way Monty Pantel's going and you want to continue with the study, they will um, happily support ongoing medication with uh, Monty Pantel. And what so oncologist did over the last couple of years is that, because Farmos doesn't have any impact on the decisions, it's all between the oncologist and the owner. Okay. But some oncologists made a call to, okay, well, let's um, let's say a dog does get to progressive disease at day 28, but for all intents and purposes is behaving normally. And this is actually not too uncommon. Still with energy, eating well, but the nodes have grown a bit more and they're outside the criteria for causing stable disease. So some of those dogs would then go on to a combination of monipantal with prednisone oh. and at varying dose rates. But what I think has been one of the most exciting findings is that the dogs that have been on the combination therapy molly have actually, they have pushed out sort of five to seven months. And again, this is a retrospective analysis of data, which really needs to be set up and assessed properly in a proper study. In a study. Mm-hmm. But there's an interesting finding out of this early stage data, because there's some similarities actually with the way prednisone works and the way Monty Pantel work on the cancer cell. And I'm not sure of the mechanism at all, but the interesting finding is that potentially there's longevity of survival. We've had a number of dogs that have gone through sort of six to seven months of good quality of life after their initial presentation to the study. And and I think this is an area of real unmet need within therapies of lymphoma for dogs. So I think for Farmost, um, this is something that they're really wanting to explore further with more investment and much bigger studies. Yes, because these smaller, how many dogs are in these in these studies, you said 34? 34, 34, is my 34 at this stage. 34. Yeah. So 
it's not nothing, but it's not hundreds of dogs. Or How many dogs would you like to see in a study? If the decision was to really, and we'd call this a phase three, we would go, when, I'd like to see 100 dogs. 100 dogs, yeah. Yeah. That's a nice round number, and right? you can get good percentages. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, do the math. It's easy for me. It suits me quite well. I bet a thousand would be nice too. <laughs> that's another one. You get good percentages. You have to do too much hard math. That's right. Well, that's a good place for us to stop just for a moment to listen to our sponsors for today's show. And then when we come back, Kim, I want to ask you about another dewormer that is being repurposed. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach, and I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. It's a strange thing to do, sprinkle this powder on my food, but I wouldn't have it any other way. My time with you is precious and irreplaceable, and I'm thrilled to be with you for as long as possible. Here's to puppy playtime and senior snoozes. <laughs> no matter how old I get, I want my ever pup. It just makes me feel good in this life and the next, and the next, and the next. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the ever pup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. If your dog has cancer, you need to get a copy of the best-selling animal health book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide. Because no matter what you've heard, there are always steps that you can take to help your dog fight and maybe even beat cancer. At nearly 500 pages, this comprehensive guide is your complete reference for practical, evidence-based strategies that can optimize the life quality and longevity of your dog. It's written by two of the most respected names in dog cancer, full-spectrum veterinarian Damien Dressler and veterinary oncologist Susan Ettinger. With the Dog Cancer Survival Guide, you'll learn everything that you need to know about conventional treatments, surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation, including how to reduce their side effects. You'll also discover the most effective non-conventional options, including nutraceuticals and supplements and diet, as well as mind-body medicine. What I love most about this book, which I've used with my own dog, Kanga, when she was diagnosed with cancer, is how to analyze the options and develop a specific plan for your own dog based on your dog's type of cancer and your dog's age, your financial budget, as well as your personality. You can get the Dog Cancer Survival Guide wherever books are sold, but if you get it direct from the publisher, you will save 10% when you use the offer code, especially for listeners of this podcast. 
Just go to dogcancerbook.com, and when you check out, use the promo code PODCAST, and you will save 10%. The website again, dogcancerbook.com, and use the promo code PODCAST to save 10%. I want to let you know about an important newsletter. It's called Dog Cancer News. Now, with a name like that, it is not for everyone. But if your dog has cancer, you will want to subscribe. That's because every issue features articles that will be helpful, such as low-carb dog cancer diet recipes, new clinical trials, financial resources to help pay for cancer care, information on supplements, and lots of other helpful info that your veterinarian may not know or have the time to share with you. Also, when you subscribe to Dog Cancer News, you will get a weekly update on the topics covered on this podcast, along with links and resources. So how much does Dog Cancer News cost? Well, today, you can subscribe for free. It's our gift. For a limited time, you can get a full year's subscription for free. No strings attached. Just go to this website to sign up for the newsletter now, dogcancernews.com. It takes less than 10 seconds to subscribe, and it is totally free. Do it now at dogcancernews.com. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back with Kim talking about Manapental. What question I know is going to come up in the mind of the listener as they hear you speak about a sheep dewormer called Manapental is, oh, is that like ivermectin? <laughs> so please, is Manapental ivermectin and what is the difference? Yeah, so if you think around my term repurposing, then that term applies both to ivermectin and monipantil and and some other chemistries, right? Ivermectin and monipantil are totally different chemistries. They've got a very different mode of action as dewormers. And so from that sense, they are unrelated. Okay. From a related sense, it's obvious that ivermectin also has been around for 30 or 40 years and it has other things that it does to cells mm-hmm. is the same way that Monty Pantel does. And and honestly, one of the exciting things being a, a bit of a science geek is that chemistries can be around for decades, but people are still working out things that they do, right? This science doesn't stop. Right. So I think if there's a connection, it's just that they both actives do a lot of different things besides what they're initially commercialized for, and that's maybe one of the cool things about being a scientist. I think my favorite repurposing is Viagra, which was yes. mildly effective as a, as a heart drug, <laughs> but very effective as, let's say, a, a stimulant. <laughs> I know it's not a stimulant, but I'm not quite sure how to say that on Dog Cancer Answers, which is a family-friendly show, and I think we should keep it that way. <laughs> yes, well, I think if you think around serendipity, 
Uh-huh. Like there's another chemistry I've So to speak. Yeah, indeed. You know, <laughs> yes. Oh, it's my blood pressure's. Yes, that's right. You're right. <laughs> but there's quite a few stories about how things are discovered. There was one parasiticide which I worked on for about 10 years and that the story there was a, um, a lot of these things are discovered in soil, right? I mean, they that's a whole other area of mine that I've got interest in. It's just naturally derived chemistries. And uh, huh. and so I've met this obviously from a soil organism and um, this other chemistry was as well. And the, the person who discovered it, if you like, was camping in the Caribbean, so the story went, and sat down next to a, a spot on the creek and realised there was not many mosquitoes or sandflies around here. And I guess this is some creative licence, but apparently took some soil samples and went back to the lab and isolated out this particular organism which produced this, um, it's one of the safest parasiticides. It was called, what's well, called spinosad actually, which is a great one. So there is another story of just how things start. Yeah. If you keep your mind open and curious, I think humans are natural scientists when they're yes. relaxed and open-minded, right? Let's never stop asking questions. I think that's the key thing. I agree. Yeah. So talk a little bit about side effects and conflicts with other. It's being used in combination with prednisone. Well, how does that affect the dosing of other drugs? Are there side effects to monopentol when you take continually because it's once a day rather than a short course like you would do for a dewormer in a sheep or cow? But talk a little bit about those things. Yeah, when the first studies were started with uh, monipantal, you know, what you tend to try and do is you tend to find a dose rate which you really think has every chance of working because you want to assess it quite quickly. So the first dose rate that was started, there were two aspects which are quite different to the dose rate we use now. One is it was the highest dose rate that was used to give it a good effect, but also the delivery vehicle wasn't the tablet. It was a, certainly a precursor to the tablet. And there were some issues there with uh, palatability for the first one. Oh. <laughs> but it was really clear, though, to question on adverse effects, that if monopantal dose was too high, then what you see, um, you see some impacts on the liver. Mm. And this relates to reducing feed intake. And so you do get some inappetence and some weight loss, which is obviously not preferred when you've got an oncology patient, right? So Right. You don't want them to lose more weight. Yes, yes. Yeah. But we don't see gastric, we don't see diarrhea, we kind of don't see skin lesions. So that's really been the major thing that we've seen. But we're very mindful now about the impact of dose rate on the liver. That's really the target organ of change. So do you monitor the liver values and then lower the dose if you see change? Yes. So what we do now with the study, so we will do to roll the dog in the study, there's a full clinical examination. This involves blood tests, obviously. We image, we do radiographs of the chest, we ultrasound the abdomen, we type the tumour. So we get a really full picture at day zero. And then we, day 14, we will do a full blood test again. And then on day 28, we'll repeat everything, imaging, blood tests. So 
we've got a really good idea on liver enzyme values, kidney function, you know, all the electrolytes. We know we've got some good information there. And certainly by moving to a different dose and we've gone to a lower dose now, we, and so we have a dose regimen where we start with what we call a loading dose, which is a higher dose than we would maintain on. And the idea behind that is that, as I mentioned, um, Monty Pantel works through the energy system of the cell. So it takes a couple of days to initiate that effect. Like a cytotoxic drug will come straight in, and if that cell is dividing and it's at the level, then it will start killing the cell. Right. Monty Pantel is a slower uptake. Okay. So we have moved to an initial high dose to start with, and then um, we're probably looking, again, without too much detail, probably looking at between a five and a tenfold reduction of the first dose where we found the liver issue, right? And the, so we've dropped the dose quite significantly for the last part of the study. And that is resulting in stabilization of the cancer progression, as far as you can tell from your results so far that hitting it hard and fast at the high dose and then dropping it way down for maintenance through those 28 days is working out. Yes, and, and we keep a close eye on, so we take blood levels for assessing levels of the money pantle in the blood. Okay. So we now believe we've got a, a much clearer idea of the plasma levels that we need to achieve stability with the lymphoma. So we're matching... And that's really been the work that we've done is to try and match outcome with dose with plasma levels of the monopantal. I see. And then in your larger trials, you can take what you've learned here and really look at that in a more detailed way with a larger set of dogs. Yes. Are you focusing on certain breeds or size of dogs or are you just looking at the naive treatment B-cell lymphoma dogs? Yes, yeah, look, we've not selected on anything in terms of breed, size, shape, apart, or size really is related to, at the moment, we've got a minimum of 11 kilos, okay. say 20 pounds, but that really relates to the tablet size that the company's got. It's just a bit difficult to, ah. so it's not a toxicity thing, it's more just a, we, we don't quite have a tablet size that fits small dogs. Right. If you make it commercially, you'll make it though. I imagine. Uh, yes, well, um, again, that'll be <laughs> someone else's decision, Molly. But right, so uh, I would that, that would make stopped. sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, I I have small dogs, so that's what I'm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. So tell me a little bit about how this works. Where this is not a drug that's approved in the U.S. as a U.S.-based show. I'm interested in because you have a, a trial center here in the U.S. How does that work to use a drug that we don't have on our shores? Yes, there's a there's a facility, and we, we work with a actually a good friend of mine who's a U.S. regulatory person in the U.S. And there is there is an ability to before you submit your INAD, which we would have to do to do a larger scale study, mm-hmm. and we would have to have a lot more data available. You can look at a ten dog. Study. So we've got a very small pilot study that we're running in, in Texas. And that's really just to let us 
again, get some connections with oncologists in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, but to have some local data, which we would submit alongside everything else that we needed to do the INAD submission, which if hopefully if enrollment rates pick up, and it's a bit of a plug mm-hmm. for the study to your readers that enrollment rates. Oh. We're happy to do that. Anybody who wants to get involved in these trials, they sound like they're well worth it. Please. I imagine anybody in Australia could ask their vet to get enrolled. Is that how this works? Yeah. So there are certain sites that we've got lined up for the study. Probably if owners wanted to, they could just go onto the Farmost website. Okay. We'll put a link in the show notes for them. Yes. And there would be media. Yeah. Um, You can see where the sites are run. Obviously, my details or Dr. Roger Aston, who's chairman of the board, very happy to take calls. And then if there's any interest, in fact, I was speaking to an owner from New Zealand the other day who just heard about the the study in New Zealand. And um, so I chatted to her for half an hour about their pets and options. And so very happy to, to do that as well. Okay. Well, that's really nice. So you have sort of a your hands-on company. So you have trial sites in Australia, New Zealand, and one in the U.S. Is there anywhere else? No. Do you want to be somewhere else? <laughs> Look, I think I think you hit it a little bit to say, well, we're quite a small company, and like I'm the I'm the lead investigator, so you know you don't want to spread too wide. Yeah. You want to keep focused in areas, and um, so at the moment, I'm really comfortable with the sites that we've got. It's manageable. Yes, it is. So when, if someone's listening and they think, okay, my dog's just been diagnosed with B-cell lymphoma, I haven't made a choice yet, how do they know their dog is right for this trial? How would you assess that? Who should be enrolling? Yeah, so the um, obvious place is just to start having a chat with your own veterinarian, right? And um, And if they have not heard of the study, then feel free to reach out directly to Farmost or um, we can direct to the oncologist. But the initial examination really is the key. So if your pet has just been diagnosed, seemingly quite normal, energy's the same, appetite's the same, that would be very likely to be substage A. So we we really, if there's an area that we're limiting is... um, Enrolling substage B dogs is not something that we've done. So every dog that we've had, you know, they could be stage five. So we're not, we're taking any stage through to stage five. Um, but substage B is, is a group that we're not enrolling because generally those dogs, uh, sadly, are just are just too ill to manage. They're very ill. Yes. When they're substage B, that's yes. when they're really, really yeah, I understand. So in the interest of kindness to the dog, yes. you take the dogs who are in pretty good shape, have lymphoma, we're not, it's an urgent situation, but they're still doing pretty well, hoping that you can keep that quality of life stable. Yes. And one of the things the oncologist, as we've talked around, find it difficult is that, you know, you have a 28-day study. It doesn't sound long, but as you've pointed out a couple of times, Molly, for a lymphoma dog, it can be really challenging. So we really like substage A1, as you say, to be try and be um, fair to uh, and look after the welfare of the dog as best we can, given we're moving into a study situation. But then again, if we have ill dogs and unfortunately they pass away in a week or two weeks, then that's not an effective outcome for anyone either. So 
Yeah. Right. And that would leave for me a bad taste in my mouth. Yes. Potentially as a as a dog lover to think it didn't do anything for my dog and I had hope and that seems like a kindness for everybody. Because emotions run so high around cancer. It's just heartbreaking, isn't it? It's heartbreaking for veterinarians as much as it is for the dog lover. Yeah, and, and it's really it's quite emotional at times when you see the thinking owners go through about how to manage their pet with cancer, right? And and often, well, I say often, I have observed owners who will make decisions to look after their pet in a kind of way. Maybe that's a different phrase for people, but they might put themselves through more aggressive therapy than they would actually allow their pet to go through because they're responsible, right, for the outcome. So the initial chat and the investigation and the discussion with the oncologist and the owner and is that's really where it all has to happen. This is where the key decisions are made and expectations. It's really important that, and I know categorically oncologists are really open about what they think about the study. They don't want to create false hope. They want to create good expectations. So I'm really proud to work with these oncologists because they always have the animal welfare top of mind because people need to know the ranking, obviously, of the therapies, right? So gold standard, chemotherapy, that's a palliative therapy. And then we're thinking that this option could be something in the middle which provides a, a different opportunity, but it's still a study. It's still a, an early stage investigation study. So Yeah, we're not there yet. It's not a treatment yet, but it's possibly a peek into the future. Indeed. Hopefully. Yep. Yes. Well, Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. It's been great to be here, Molly. Enjoyed the chat and good luck to everyone listening. And thank you, listener. I am really excited about monopentol in part because Sometimes the old drugs that we know for one use really do have potential in other areas. And it takes uh, scientists like Kim to go and find those uses and put in the time and effort it takes to build the trials and do the science that we need to do in order to know for sure whether something that is currently being used in one application could be used in another. Obviously, monopentals in studies now, it's early days yet, and hopefully things will continue to show promise. At some point, there might be an option for those who decline chemotherapy for whatever reason, that they could be using a substance like monopentol with or without prednisone and experience few side effects and possibly put lymphoma in stasis for a few more months so they get more time with their beloved dog. In order to keep up to date on the latest news from Dog Cancer World, please subscribe to our newsletter, Dog Cancer News. You can do that at dogcancernews.com. Thanks again for joining us today. I'm Molly Jacobson, and from all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I'm wishing you and your dog a warm aloha. Thank you for listening to Dog Cancer Answers. If you'd like to connect, please visit our website at dogcancer.com or call our listener line at 808-868-3200. And here's a friendly reminder that you probably already know. This podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not meant to take the place of the advice you receive from your dog's veterinarian. 
Only veterinarians who examine your dog can give you veterinary advice or diagnose your dog's medical condition. Your reliance on the information you hear on this podcast is solely at your own risk. If your dog has a specific health problem, contact your veterinarian. Also, please keep in mind that veterinary information can change rapidly. Therefore, some information may be out of date. Dog Cancer Answers is a presentation of Maui Media in association with Dog Podcast Network. Does the act of taking paper to pen and writing help to heal a broken heart after your dog dies? Sheila Cooperman says yes. She joins us on Dog Cancer Answers to tell her true tale about Tucker, her dog who died last year from lymphoma. Sheila shares how writing about him is helping her heal not only from his loss, but from other heartbreaks as well. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts and at dogcancer.com slash podcast. <laughs> 